All right, well, this morning, like I said, we're talking about Esther. Uh, we'll be in Esther chapter 8. If you've been with us, you know, every week, then you're excited because it's been awesome. But if not, then you're kind of, I don't know what's going on with this book of Esther. Um, so I'll catch you up. And, and I know if you've been here every week, you're kind of like, oh, man, another recap. But I'll, I, and I'll probably give it maybe like five, ten seconds for each chapter. So, uh, and, and this is my paraphrase, what portions are. So, so don't email me afterwards like, that's not what the Bible said, literally. I know, I know. Okay. Paraphrase. Esther 1. We meet King Xerxes. He's all-powerful and pretty much controls all of the known world at the time. He had a crazy party six months long to show off his wealth. His wife, Queen Vashti, was beautiful, very beautiful. And he decided it would be an awesome display of his greatness to parade his wife in front of all the other powerful men in his kingdom. So he would flaunt to everyone how awesome he is to have her as his prize. Well, she refused to come before the king, and so he got rid of her. Esther 2. King Xerxes was kind of sad that he got rid of Queen Vashti, so he decides he wants another wife. He interviews many beautiful virgins from all over his vast kingdom and decides to take a beautiful Jewish girl named Esther as his queen. Now, Esther had lost her parents when she was young. She had been adopted and raised by her older cousin, Mordecai. And Mordecai, he discovers an attempt to assassinate the king, and he actually saves his life. But the king does not say thank you. Esther 3. Haman was King Xerxes' right-hand man. He was second in command. Pastor Dave likes to give the imagery that he was like Jafar in Aladdin, so you can think of that. Uh, Everyone bows down to Haman except Mordecai. So Haman hates Mordecai, and he knows that Mordecai is a Jew, so he decides he'd like to get rid of all the Jews. He kind of tricks the king to write in a law that would give Haman legal permission to kill every single Jew in the kingdom. Haman's kind of psychics told him, 12 months later would be a great time to carry out this genocide of the Jews. Esther 3. Mordecai didn't like the idea of being legally wiped out, so he cried out to Esther and told her that she needed to do something. King Xerxes is a busy man. He probably enjoys his peace and quiet, and so he has this great law that if anyone comes to disturb him, even his wife, he has the right to execute them. So if anyone comes to him uninvited, he needs to hold out this golden scepter as a sign to his guards that it's cool, don't kill this person, it's all right. Esther knows this, and she knows that going to ask the king to save her and all the other Jews could end up in her being executed. Now, if she doesn't see the golden scepter, then she knows that's a big problem. Uh, Mordecai tells her, maybe you've become queen for such a time as this. Still, she's a little hesitant and asks the Jews to pray for her and fast for three days. And uh, yeah, and then Esther 5, chapter 5, Esther gathers her courage, goes to see Xerxes to ask him this big favor, and thankfully he's in a good mood. He holds out that scepter, and he tells her that she can pretty much have anything she wants, up to half the kingdom, right? Uh, Esther asks, asks Xerxes to basically come to a special dinner party with just the king, Haman, and herself. Chapter 6. At dinner with Haman and Esther, the king asks Esther what she wants. She maybe senses the timing isn't right, so she says, you know what, let's have another dinner party tomorrow, and I'll tell you then. Well, that night after dinner, the king can't sleep, so he calls in a servant to read him a bedtime story. And he chooses this, uh, you know, 
portion from his personal accolades or things that have happened in his reign. Well, the story just happens, coincidentally, to be Esther 2. Not literally, but remember in Esther 2, um, you know, the king is read about this time when Mordecai, the Jew, saved his life. And he realizes that he never said thank you. So, Haman happens to be in the area, and so King Xerxes calls Haman in. And, uh, you know, he asks Haman, Hey, Haman, if you had someone special that you really, really wanted to honor and you wanted to say thank you to, what would you do? And so Haman, of course, he's full of himself, so he thinks that the king is talking about him. So he gives this great idea why don't you do this awesome parade for this person? And they would go through the kingdom, and everyone would know how great they are. And so the king says, great idea. Haman, go do that for Mordecai. We're sure that that Haman's face probably changed right away because Haman, in fact, hated Mordecai. And in anticipation to this day of genocide for the Jews, he had set up this pole 75 feet tall, in which, after Mordecai was killed, Haman wanted to put him there in front of his house for all to see. So he has to take Mordecai on this parade, and when he goes home, he talks to his family, and they pretty much say, wow, the Jews are going to be your downfall. And last week, we talked about Esther 7. Now Esther has the second dinner party with the king and Haman. The king asks her again, what is it that you wanted? Well, Esther tells him that someone is trying to kill her and all her people. The king asks, who? She reveals that she is actually a Jew and that this evil man is Haman. The king is furious. Haman is shocked. And, um, you know, nobody knew that Esther was a Jew. Haman fervently begs for his life. He even comes up to Esther's special couch that she's kind of chilling on and possibly falls on it or near her or something like that. And the king thinks Haman is assaulting her or molesting her or doing something weird to his wife, so he gets even more furious. Haman is executed. He's put on the pole that he had previously made for Mordecai. And after Haman is killed, the king's anger subsides, or he's not angry anymore. So remember that. Now we're in Esther 8. You guys are all caught up. So Esther 8, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can bring that out. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. Um, So let's start out with with Esther 8, and I'm going to read 1 through 3. Uh, We're just going to go through this, and I'm going to kind of stop momentarily on different sections, and we'll talk about that. So Esther 8, 1. And on the screen, you'll see... It says King Ahasuerus. Okay, now that's just the Jewish uh, name for Xerxes. So don't be surprised for that. Like Esther, her Jewish name is Hadassah, right? Uh, So anyways, I'm reading from the ESV this morning. Um, On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her, that that Mordecai was her uh, father, right, adopted father. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had given, or which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman, the Agagite, and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. Now remember, we just talked about chapter 7. And Esther had came before the king. 
she had told him how, hey, my life is in danger. In fact, someone's trying to kill me and my people. And it's revealed it's Haman. Haman is killed. The threat is neutralized. The king is probably thinking, I just saved my wife from this evil man. Good me, and let's relax. His anger subsides, right? Now, maybe Esther is safe at this point. But remember, the law has already been sent out. The law that, that Haman tricked the king to putting out, that's still out there. It's still, it's still um, legal to kill the Jews on this given day 12 months later, right? And so Esther may be safe, but the rest of her people are not. Now think about this. Many of you, uh, if you're... Um, well, many of us, most of us, right? We're living in a state of safe. There's not someone pursuing us, trying to kill us at every moment, or thinking about, hey, on this day, I'm going to get you, right? And it's going to be legal. Your, your life is not threatened in that way. I hope not. And if you're a Christian, then your sins have been forgiven. You've been saved from eternity in hell. You are a child of God. You're his royal priesthood. We're the bride of Christ. You're called Christ's righteousness. You're living in a place of safe. Now maybe uh, Esther realizes this, that she's okay. But she knows that there's many more that at this moment, they're not. And so remember that she fell at his feet and she wept and pleaded with the king. This is her passion. Let's keep reading. Esther 4 through 8. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king, and she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatho, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then the king Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. So although the previous law had already been written, the new law, this, this, and this new law um, they were going to write in order to counteract that first law, you know, it... it the, the king's basically, so what, sorry, so what basically is happening is the king has already put out this law, and he's saying, I can't change what I've already put out. But what you can do is you can do another law. Why don't you guys think of a new law I can put in, and here's my ring, here's the authority, you are writing this on my behalf. And so they think up a new law that they can instill in order to, to counteract the first law, Right? And, um, you know, he's basically saying, I've given you the authority, 
to help me write a new law, to help me change this story that's been written. Continuing with with verse 9 to 14. So now the king's scribes were summoned at that time. In the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on on the 23rd day, and an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews. Uh, it was given to the satraps, the governors, the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to each province in its own script and to each people in its own language, and also to the Jews in their script and their language. So in their world, that was the whole world. This edict was given out every tongue to every tongue and to every nation, right? Uh, and uh, within their, the empire, the Persian empire. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. And on that day, throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies." So the couriers mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service. They rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa, the capital. So this new law is written. And, uh, you know, this morning, um, I'm actually, uh, if if you didn't catch it, somebody caught it. Um, If you look at your bulletin on the front, um, it says praising God's faithfulness, and we are praising his faithfulness. Uh, but I've chosen to, to change the, the title of the sermon to, to delivering the mail. Uh, I think we're, we're fairly familiar with the story of Esther, that it's, uh, it has a happy ending. Um, and so you know the ending, uh, and, um, and we can praise God for his faithfulness in that. But, you know, this part of the text, I think it's easy to miss. And so I actually wanted to highlight on this portion today. Because the new law was written, right? There's 127 provinces in this vast empire. 127 different notices have been written, maybe more, right? For all people in all these different provinces. But it still needs to get there. It still needs to get there. Just because the law has been made in the capital, it still needs to get there. They didn't have the internet back then, right? They're, they're, all their websites were not instantly uh, updated with a new law. No, like it had to get there. In 2001, um, there's a man named Paul Willicott. He was a uh, British mail courier. He's a royal mail, mail courier. Uh, in 2001, he, he made the news because... Um, it was found out that he failed to deliver over 30,000 pieces of mail. A neighbor saw him stashing mail in his garage and called it in since it seemed kind of suspicious. You know, sure, there was a lot of junk mail, 
but there was also packages, letters, job applications, medical results, birthday and Christmas presents, all kinds of stuff. The 44-year-old man said that he was expected to deliver all the mail on his route in four hours a day. He complained that it wasn't possible. I think he said it often would take him, if he actually delivered everything, maybe five, five and a half hours. And um, so he, he just couldn't do it. He started to get really overwhelmed. And so instead of returning to the station each day after his four-hour shift and returning the undelivered mail possibly facing, um, you know, all his peers and supervisors like, why, don't, why can't you get the job done? You know, what's wrong with you? you? You didn't finish your route? Instead of doing that, he just hid the mail. 798 items were found in the trunk of his car. 20,384 items were found in his house. Now, Paul had good intentions in that he said he planned to catch up and, and deliver all the mail when, when he was able to. He intended to deliver everything eventually. He'd do it later. Some of the pieces of mail that they discovered were three years old. Paul, he had to pay money. He he, he had to do community service. Uh, Ultimately, he didn't didn't have to go to jail. Um, But needless to say, a lot of that mail was time-sensitive. And um, as a result of that, something happened to someone um, when they didn't receive what they had expected. Right. Now, Esther and Mordecai, they were able to get this new law written. But it had to be passed on. Can you imagine if these couriers thought to themselves, hey, I remember when we delivered the first law, how excited some of those people were that they were going to get to kill the Jews. There were some pretty evil people there, kind of scary, you know. What if some of them felt like, I don't know, I don't really want to be the bearer of this news. They might kill me. Ah, the law's been written. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know, whatever. Maybe I'm too busy. I don't really feel like riding that far. These horses are not that comfortable. You know, whatever it is, can you imagine what would have happened to those different areas if the law was not brought, if the good news was not given to the Jews. They just face the slaughter, right? The new law essentially gave them the right to fight and to, to um, you know, stand up for themselves, to take out the enemies before the enemies could take them out. Can you imagine if that news didn't get there? You know, right now, it's, it's kind of like, if you think about this, it's like, we have the good news, right? We've heard a new law has been written. We have the good news. What if you and I have been saved for such a time as this? And like the couriers, we're supposed to deliver that news. But instead, we're thinking, ah, I'll do it later. Ah, I don't know. It's kind of nerve-wracking. <laughs> what if they don't like me? You know, I don't, I'll do it later. I'll just put it in my trunk, hide it in my house. Who's going to know? I'll get to it someday. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to it someday. 
You know, right now, there's a lot of hurt and pain in the news, right? Uh, there's a lot of hate. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of questions, confusion. Um, if you don't know what I'm alluding to, you know, I'm talking about, uh, you know, everything with um, police killings and, um, and all the police officers in Dallas that, that were shot. Um, and because of these things, you know, it's, it's sparked kind of nationwide debate, right? And people have, have seen this green light to either put their hate out there or to, to, to come and push for unity or to just discuss, you know, hey, racism is not dead. Hey, there's still these issues that we don't want to talk about, but they're there, right? It's kind of opened up this dialogue on, on a huge level. You know what? Actually, let's, let's, um, let's pray right now. Um, just join me in prayer. Lord God, I thank you for um, God, I thank you for the rights that you give us in this nation, that we're able to assemble, that we're able to, um, to gather to worship you, Lord. God, I just want to lift up to all the families, all the people that have been deeply hurt, all the people that are grieving right now, all the many more people whose idea of safety has been shattered. Lord, we pray that your perfect love would drive out fear. We pray that your perfect love would bring healing. We pray that your justice would be served. Lord, we ask that you would bring forth peace and clarity. God, we pray for a nation that we would stand together as people and not be focused on our differences or the grievances that we have against one another, but that we would be united by um, our similarities, Lord, that we're all your creation. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, the old law, the old law, remember, there's that old law, kind of like in Esther, right? We have an old law also, right? The old law says that the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 tells us that for the wages of sin is death, right? That law is still in effect. In fact, if people don't receive the new law, then that's the law, that, that's the only law that they have, is the wages of sin is death. But Jesus came and he died for us. That day on Calvary, he wrote something new. The new law says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16, right? But again, it doesn't matter if people don't hear it. It doesn't make a difference if they never receive the message. How is God calling you to get on your knees, to weep and beg, to have passion for people? To have passion to save your friends, your family, your coworkers, strangers, that they might know the love of God, that they might hear the new law, that, hey, they don't have to be bound by the old law. They don't have to be subject to that judgment, that God has extended this offer of grace to them, right? And as we close this chapter, you'll see, man, 
man, this is what happens when people receive that. Esther 8, 15 through 17. We see a glimpse of this, a foretelling. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday, and many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear of the Jews had fell on them and fallen on them. Yeah. Everywhere the king's command reached, there was light and gladness and joy and honor. You know, next week, uh, you know, like, like we've been talking about, Mako talked about his, his brother, Rocky, is going to be coming. And, uh, you know, Rocky has a real passion uh, to use his platform, to use his position as an NFL coach, to be able to gain people's ears, to really be able to speak to them and share with them what God has done in his life. That he's realized that, you know, all these accolades that he sought, playing for USC, being an NFL coach, winning the Super Bowl. You know, all these things that he thought, man, that would be awesome. Through all that, he realized that, man, really, truly, truly, there's nothing, there's nothing better than knowing Jesus. There's nothing better than walking with the Lord. And what a powerful testimony. So here's, uh, here's our challenge for the week, okay? Maybe... You're placed in your situation for such a time as this. Maybe God is calling you to share with someone else, right? Maybe he's telling you to deliver the mail, right? So this week, our challenge is to think and pray. Think and pray. Think and pray about how God is asking you to deliver the mail, right? Maybe it's to have a conversation with someone. Maybe it's just to talk to someone at work, say hi and smile, instead of just running to your desk or, or ignoring people. Maybe it's to tell your mother that God loves her and you want to tell her more about Jesus. Maybe it's to grab one of those postcards in the back and invite someone to church next Sunday. Ask God what he's guiding you to do. And let's pray in anticipation you know, for what the Lord's going to do. Um, and, and so I think, you know, just think about that. So there's two parts, right? Think about it. Use your brain. God gave you a brain, so use it. Um, think about, you know, what are the different ways that maybe I'm supposed to reach out to others? Is it just a simple act of kindness? Or is it, uh, you know, a, a spiritual conversation with someone? You know, what is it that God is putting on your heart? And then pray about that. Really spend time in, in prayer about that. Because um, I believe the Lord will convict you. He'll, he'll bring something up. He'll show you someone or something to do. And, uh, you know, if you're a little scared, if maybe you're one of those couriers that's like, I don't know about taking this message, well, you got an easy way out. You just take one of those postcards, and you can just kind of drop it on someone's desk, or, you know, better if you hand it to them, invite them personally. Uh, but, you know, get the word out. And, um, but, yeah, if you feel God is leading you to, to be the one, to talk to someone, just share with them how God has done something in your life, then... I encourage you to do it. Because as you step out, 
Amazing thing happens. He's with you. Right? So worship team, you can come up in church. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you. Lord, we praise you for your word, how um, full and rich it is. Um, and just, again, the testimony, the story of Esther, Lord God, how um, in this book, even though your name is not mentioned once, we see you everywhere. We see you all over this, this, uh, this wonderful story. Um, and God, I, I think that sometimes that's kind of like our lives, that, that maybe you're not there speaking out in a thunderous voice, but God, you're present. You're present in our daily lives, and, and you're with us, you're for us. And so, God, we pray that you would give us courage. God, we pray that you would give us clarity, that we would be able to see through, you know, all this, this fog, all this cloudiness of the world, that we would be able to see through that and just really see what is it that matters. And that's you, Lord. And there's no message that is more important that needs to be delivered than the message of the gospel. The good news that you have come, that you died for us, and that because of that, we can experience a relationship with you. We can see heaven come. We can see your kingdom come now. And so, Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come. We pray that your will would be done in our lives, all around us, that just as it is in heaven, that here on earth you would have domain, that your kingdom would come. Lord, we pray for boldness. God, I pray an anointing over everyone here that you would just... And God, you would just fill them again with your Holy Spirit, that they would be aware of your presence, that, that, that Lord, that they would know that you are with them, and that they would know that they are not alone, that everywhere they go, you are there. And so, Lord, give us the boldness and the courage to speak truth. Give us the boldness and the courage to reach out in love. Give us the boldness and the courage to follow after you. Thank you, Jesus, and we praise your name this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.